listen to that music. Just puts you in a good mood. Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. We're going to spend some time today with that music, the band that created it, and the man who founded the band. If you've listened to the show, you know that's the work of Palo, the band behind our theme music. That's Palo with an exclamation point, because the music's like a jolt of Cuban coffee. And its founder, Steve Reutstein, is the band leader who makes the cafecito. Palo's an Afro-Cuban funk band made in Miami. Their sound is Miami. Their influences come from the 305 and the music of the Caribbean. Steve founded the band in 2003 while he was a studio musician and teaching business classes at Miami-Dade College. He'd worked with all-time greats like Celia Cruz and Willie Chirino to make Grammy-winning music for them. Steve wanted to put his own spin on Miami beats. Palo was born. People noticed. Steve was nominated for a Grammy and a Latin Grammy, and Palo continues to make music in this its 20th year, with new members and new sounds. They'll be performing Thursday night at the Miami Beach Band Show. To tell us about Palo at 20, and maybe the next 20, is Steve Reutstein. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Carlos. You know, I hear that music, and it always gets me in a good mood, and I just feel like it's such a great fit for the show. Well, I uh, first of all, I just want to thank you and thank WLRN for uh, really forming an alliance with Paolo. Um, yeah, you guys have been making the music for the show. We had several versions of it going back uh, previous iterations. Yes, and and it was it was really beautiful because um, the producers of the show before Sundial existed, they wanted to have a local sound for a local band for a local show, and thank God. WLRN exists and that we have some real local programming whoop, whoop. because it's so rare. So I know this is not a pledge drive, but <laughs> folks, whoever's listening, please support the station as much as you can because uh, it's uh, it's a rare thing to have actual local programming. And um, so just my own little appreciation. But even before that, we, we've been on the station, uh, interviewed several times, Ed Bell, um, his program we performed here. So I, I really consider WLRN like family more than a client. Yeah, yeah. You're looking, we're looking over into the other studio here to the left, which is an old uh, uh, recording studio, uh, video recording studio, and you guys were doing, making some moves in there as well. So, yes. So, so Steve is not a paid actor, so, uh, so that's right. But take him to heart. It's all good. So Afro-Cuban funk, it's such like a, like a word puzzle. Take us into the idea of what that, like how you came to that description to describe the kind of music you guys make. When I started experimenting with the band I realized that it was not going to be traditional salsa and it was never in my mind I knew that I had to create something that was my own um, version of my favorite kinds of music which is Cuban music jazz and funk and once I settled on a, a, an approach physically that I knew it was not going to be a traditional 10-piece, 12-piece, 15-piece salsa band, that if I called it salsa, it, it would be a little bit of a bait-and-switch to traditional salsa bands. And a lot of those people really like Paolo, and so I don't really worry too much about what people call the music, Latin jazz, whatever they want to call it, it's fine. Well, there's lots of there's lots of sounds in there and lots of instruments. Tell us about some of the the sounds and the musicians that we're hearing in in uh, well, like for instance, for, for this song, the 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 theme song to our show. Yes, that's 
Al Monte, and I was really proud when um, when the producers of the show asked to use it, and it became the new soundtrack of this Sundial show. Nice refresh, and it's beautiful that the show is happening. I listened to it, and I really like listening to you and you know the guests you have on the interviews, and the I think Al Monte makes a really nice backdrop. That particular song is. Uh, somewhat typical of Apollo song. There's a drum loop there that I'm messing around with on on a computer, and I'm playing the bass line into the computer and also manipulating that. I'm a frustrated bassist. I love bass, but <laughs> I'm I'm really more of a keyboard player. Oh, but the bassist never gets the girls, so you I think you did fine. Well, yeah, that, I'm I'm not even going to go into that topic. Um, the the fact is that what I'm doing on stage and in the studio is a combination of very traditional, organic, tropical salsa sounds with uh, not as traditional in salsa music, things like looping, um, where, for instance, on this one, a um, friend of mine, former student, went into the studio, played a funk beat for me, and I just took about two bars of it and looped it and that's the drum track for the whole song well we only get to hear a little piece of it usually but i think i would like to listen to a little bit more of it so if you you want to chill and listen to it and then think about let's do that great let's listen a little bit more of al monte going on there yes and the, and the the vocals in the song bring another instrument to it yes that is um the great leslie cartaya who um i met before i had fully design decided that i wanted to have a band and we we became friends um and her and her cousin pepin rivero would come over to my place and i'd try and give them a little bit of orientation in the music business because they had a duo and I once I decided I was going to try to have a band, my vision of it was using probably one of my old veteran sonero salsa singer friends, and that never happened. And then one day I'm like, oh, damn, Leslie, of course. Hmm. And I asked her, and she said, sure, I'll try it. Um, and it was just a magical collaboration, um, writing together, putting the band together, and... Um, and Leslie is, you may not have realized it, but um, you you gave a singer, quote unquote, a very big compliment when people talk to singers like Leslie and refer to their musicality, because a lot of singers are 
thought of more as vocalists and less of as musicians. And Leslie is the whole deal. And and she was a founding a founding member of Palo. Yes, the first person that I I knew I needed to be a lead singer because I wasn't going to do that, and and she was perfect for it. And uh, yeah, and then I put the the band together one one person after another. And tell me a little a little bit about how the band has changed over time. Um, Members the, and sounds. Yeah, the the original person uh, that I invited, as I said, was Leslie Cartaya, and then. Um, I brought in Raimero Lalde, timbalero, timbale player, and Philbert Armentero, singer, singer and conga player, and finally, uh, old friend of mine, Ed Calle on the sax. And we, us five, we started gigging in 2003, which is why I call this 2023 our 20-year anniversary. 20th anniversary, sure. And then um, eventually, one by one, people res- resigned. First, Ed left the band, and then uh, so I had a little bit of a rotating sax chair and eventually settled on our current sax player, who is a wonderful person and musician, uh, Aldo Salvent. And then next person to leave the band was Philbert uh, Armenteros, and that was an easy choice because I already knew uh, Dairon Gallardo, who is our current conguero, conga player, and just marvelous. Once again, great guy, fantastic musician. Um, then finally, in late 2019, after 16 years of being together, Leslie and Raimed left. So I looked at that as an opportunity to maybe renew the sound a little bit, and and so that's when I brought in uh, Otto Santana on the timbales. Once again, just a total virtuoso percussionist. Um, and the other three people, so instead of just replacing Leslie with one person, <laughs> um, I decided to expand the colors a little bit. So um, the first person I thought about was our current flute player slash singer slash percussionist, uh, Donna Santiago. Mm-hmm. And then um, this veteran sonero from Santiago de Cuba, um, Julio Cesar Delet, Julio Cesar Rodriguez Delet. Sorry, I left out the com- compound name. Great singer, and um, and then finally Miriam Mar, who is uh, does most of the lead singing of of the female vocals. So now it's uh, different colors and additional flute sound, uh, different vocals. So it's uh, it's a little bit of an evolution. Yeah, yeah. I I I wonder how the sound has changed since. Even the the theme song that we heard, you know, how the the sound of Palo has changed since then. We used to do um, some songs with male lead vocals. Um, Philbert, the original Congo player, is a gifted vocalist as well. Um, But uh, what we never had was a salsa singer because Philbert could do that, but his specialty was more the Afro-Cuban sounds. Um, And now with, uh, with Julio Cesar, he brings his own spin to that. And also because he's such a great salsa improviser, when we say in salsa sonero or sonera for a woman, what we mean is a person who can improvise not only melodies but lyrics. That's one of the, some people don't know that that's part of the art of salsa. Uh, I think a great way to do it is just to listen to some of the new music. You have a new one of your new songs out is called Maluco. Uh, it's one of your most recent songs. And uh, let's play a little bit of it and, it, uh, and take a listen and then talk through it. Okay. Thank you. 
que nadie se ha dado cuenta de lo tramposo que eres. Engañar a la gente es todo lo que tú quieres. No soy tan inocente. There's an element of them talking to each other there a little bit. Like there's a, there's that back and forth in that song. Talk to me a little bit about what we hear here that we didn't hear from Almonte. Some of those uh, sounds are the result of the way that I write the song. Uh, but other times it's also been a natural outgrowth of the, just the personalities that we have in the band, different people. Like And on our live gigs, you will see Miriam, who sang the, who was the female lead vocal there, she will start interacting with um, with Julito, the male singer, and they'll start feeding off of each other. Or Aldo will be playing a sax solo, which you haven't heard any of his work yet, but um, she'll start jumping in there and they'll start answering them and improvising together. So that that's that's part of it. You're you're just kind of feeling the, the natural um, setting that that promotes that. I'm curious about because it it feels like I don't know other another way to say it, but a Miami sound. Can you talk to me a little bit about the creation of that Miami sound? Well, that's that's a whole show in itself. But basically, uh, <laughs> my own story, having come from the world of being a songwriter and producer for uh, all basically all the way up until I formed my own band, um, I was really blessed with a great my first big break when I was 27 years old, Willie Chirino hired me to co-produce an album called Amandote. And on that album was my first salsa arrangement, a song called Lo Que Está Para Ti. Oh, no one's ever heard that song. Right. <laughs> so I guess I did pretty well on my first salsa arrangement. <laughs> um, and Willie loved this idea of messing around with the fusion of sounds and the way he describes the Latin Miami sound is mixing up Cuban music with pop and Brazilian music and a little bit of rock. Um, and that's what he did. And, you know, so people who know Willie's music know what that's all about. And, and I'm just so proud of the work we did together. A lot of important songs for his career, including that song, Lo Que Está Para Ti, Medias Negras, Oxígeno, and a song that has renewed its importance in recent years, a song called Nuestro Día Ya Viene Llegando. Yeah, another another big one of these. Yeah, his. and so I'm very proud of all that work. And, and once I started my career working with other artists like Celia and a bunch of really amazing artists that I've worked with, I was already in the habit of fusing sounds, and I I always liked that idea anyway. So um, when when I decided to have my own band, that was really the framework that I built off of. I'll never forget being at Versailles uh, the the morning, technically one a.m. 
uh, when uh, it was announced that Fidel Castro had died, and mm. eventually Willy Chirino shows up, mm-hmm. and he leads the crowd in a rendition of Ya Viene Llegando, and it was, uh, it, was, it, was it was something else. Yeah, that song has uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, Ache, a lot of energy to it. Because it's a lot, it's a, that one is, is so much about yearning and returning home, and, and uh, that our time is coming, being the, being the title, so yes. uh, the time of returning. And the incredible thing is all the stories that have happened with the song in Cuba, where my understanding is it's, um, I think all of Willie's music is technically banned on Cuba, in Cuba, but people sing it anyway, and a lot of stuff happens when, when, when they try and sing the song. Well, I want to go down more of this path, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about how you got into it for a guy who is not Cuban and not <laughs> technically from Miami, but we'll come back to that. Uh, we're going to take a little break. Uh, we're talking with Reef, uh, I'm sorry, with Steve Reutstein, um, leader and founder of the band Palo. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and uh, we're here with Steve Reutstein, uh, who is the uh, founder of the band Palo, responsible for that little theme intro music you heard. Um, Steve, so we were talking a little bit about your background. You've worked with Willy Chirino, Celia Cruz, Tito Puente, but I'm always so interested, I was so interested in read about your background. You are a self-described white Jewish guy from Connecticut mm-hmm. who ended up here in Miami. So tell me about your introduction into Latin culture and then Latin music? Well, before before I was even a musician, my older brother David, who's five years older than I, David Reutstein, um, was a dedicated pianist from a very young age. And I was born into a very musical family, but I didn't really think about being a musician when I was a kid. Who else Who else played music in your family? Uh, my mom was a hobbyist. She liked to play folk songs on the on the guitar and sing. And um, and my grandfather played ukulele and sang, and and other other people were very musical. My cousin, um, yeah, a lot of musical people in the background, mostly visual artists. Oh, really? Like what? Um, painting, sculpture. And, uh, and who were some of those folks? Um, my mom, Norma Jane, um, was a huge influence on us, from, just from an artistic, aesthetic point of view, an amazing person, and facilitated everything I ever needed as as an artist at every moment that I ever needed it. So she she exposed you to different kinds of art, it sounds like. Yes, yes, and my brother and I both fondly remember how we connect um, her showing us concepts of visual art, rhythm, composition, contrast, and all these things to music. And it's really all very similar. Um, My grandfather was an award-winning photographer, although he was of his generation, my mom's dad, probably the most practical he was a veterinarian um so he got to do his art on his own terms um but there is something beautiful in that in that you don't have to kind of choose and say i'm an artist i am a veterinarian you right. can be in a veterinarian who does art you know exactly i don't um, think you can do it the other way though <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um my mom's sister my dear aunt laura she was also a really gifted artist um my grandmother their mom was a really wonderful painter um, my grandfather's uncle, my great an- uncle, was actually probably the one of the most known artists of them all, if not the most known, U- Eugene Ludens. Um, and his sister, Raya, was a muralist. Um, and so it's there is an extensive um, s- work uh, yeah. 
And so that background was amazing. And so we had moved to Miami from Connecticut. When, and when I was about eight years old, I remember watching, I believe it was Channel 6 at the time, an old I Love Lucy rerun. And there was a an episode where the Ricky Ricardo character played by Desian Nas, a mm-hmm. Cuban who had originally left Cuba, I believe, in the 30s and lived on Miami Beach for a while. Mm-hmm. Um in that episode, he has a conga drum and he's singing <laughs> And I was sitting there as an eight-year-old kid watching this TV and I said, I have no idea. I think he just switched languages. I'm not sure, but I love what he's doing. I remember just knowing that I didn't understand it, but I loved it. I was drawn to it. And growing up in Miami, I became pretty good on the French horn, went to private school up in Michigan because there was no such thing as a magnet school high school oh and okay. so i went to a place called the interlochen arts academy for three years that's in michigan yes northern michigan near traverse city and my mom a single mother of three somehow pulled it off i did get a scholarship wow. um, yeah and so that was a, an incredible blessing and i just blossomed as a as a musician when i came back to miami um i attended the university of miami and quickly switched still playing the french horn to jazz so your mom is raising what three? Is it all boys or no? My middle sibling uh, is Anne. She's uh, she's female, hundred <laughs> percent. And and so like your mom doing this this job raising three. So she's here in Miami. You're in Michigan. She was doing quite a juggling act. Oh and- yeah. I mean, in a way, uh, my mom was kind of uh, somewhere between you know an artist, hippie, bohemian, and a great mom. And I think because of the circumstances we needed some time apart i was a real pain in the butt um <laughs> and and it really it was it was a great thing yeah so you come to miami you come back to miami and you're you are not you know you're not from latin background but how do you begin to process this music and and add to it so to speak how do you add to that to start to add to the culture of it it was a it was a long process. Uh, one of the first things was discovering Carlos Santana, my my high school roommate at Interlochen, uh, David Harris, now Judge David Harris in 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 Toronto. Oh wow! Um, okay, he had a nice record collection, and the breakdown to Black Magic Woman mm-hmm. um, is Cuban music, and I didn't realize it at the time, but when I heard that, I was like, "Damn, that is so amazing!" Mm-hmm. And um, one of the great rumberos was in his band. Uh, Peraza, Armando Peraza. So you came to Miami and you start, you switch from the from the horn. And well, you start I stayed playing. on French horn and, and got my bachelor's degree in jazz, which was an awkward instrument to play jazz on, but I learned a lot. And, and <laughs> okay. I think by that time I knew I wasn't going to be a symphonic French horn player like I originally thought. I had messed around with the congas and I, a couple really generous Cuban congueros at the university, Cookie Lopez. Uh, was one of them very patient with me, showed me how to properly play the congas, but I'm not a conguero. Um, that was the start of it. Um, and just being around the 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 vibe of the University of Miami, there was already a lot of Latin music um, influence in my brother's compositions because he was ahead of me by four or five years at the University of Miami. So he was already like, the top jazz keyboard player in the concert jazz band doing a lot of the writing. And he, he had some of that Latin influence in his writing. Wow. So I was soaking it up a little bit. 
And your Spanish is is actually pretty great, too. <laughs> I speak Cuban. I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Just ask any Colombian. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As one of our producers, Leslie yeah. is Colombian. And, She'll take us to task over our Spanish. So when I, when I switched to get my master's degree in writing and production, I switched to keyboards and I was playing in cover bands. And all of a sudden, I got an opportunity to join a Cuban band, and I felt like I had just gotten home somehow right and i learned how to play a tumbao like the piano riff that they do in cuban music and i had to really go to school intellectually about the rhythm because there are rules in cuban music and in all caribbean music which are i think come from africa there's something called la clave the clave is not just an instrument it's a rhythm right and you have to know which part of it to jump on because you can't breathe in when everyone else is breathing out well it's funny the 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 musician alex lackamore who helped uh orchestrate the music to hamilton uh when he was he there's one part of in the heights he also did the orchestration for in the heights he had to learn cuban music uh even though he's cuban and cuban background but he was more of like a you know like a jazzy pianist and he had the clave turned backwards and mm. it wasn't until like some of the latin musicians were like hey that was great but you got the clave backwards that and happened to me when i first started playing with chirino's band because when chirino hired me to produce his album he also asked me to direct the band and so i i did need to learn and the basic way that i learned was intellectually first and then to get it internalized i hung out with my dear friend tani hill who was um very uh, important part of my life because we would just hang out in his house playing congas. I play the sticks or the conga and just start to internalize the clave. Can you can you give us the clave beat? Can you give us a clave beat? Well, so what everybody knows is pa 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 pa. That's what everyone knows. Three two. But it also can be pa 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 pa. It's just the same thing. What do you do first? Breathe in or breathe out? We don't know, but you don't breathe out twice in a row. You don't go pa pa. Um, ba, ba, not allowed. That's like <laughs> nails on a chalkboard. Yep. And when that happens, then that's when everybody's uncomfortable. So that that is the important thing to do as a pianist or as a arranger or anything because the clave is important to all tropical music. Haitian music has it. Brazilian music has it. Puerto Rican, uh, Cuban, Venezuelan, uh, all the African-based music of the Caribbean has the clave. Tell me about this kid that comes to music in such a like a kind of a natural way. Then you start working with folks like Celia Cruz, and uh, you mentioned Willy Chirino. What did you take from these experiences? Number one, that Willy Chirino sounds like the first big. It really took off for you from there. How oh, much yeah. did that do for your career? Well, it it did everything. Uh, one of the things that happened was uh, because of Willie's um, high profile. People were paying attention to the sound of the music, so they would come to us to produce other stuff. And sometimes Willie would hand that stuff off to me because he was too busy. And one of those projects was doing arrangements for Ricardo Montaner. And Montaner loves the tropical sounds, and he was being produced by Oscar Gomez, a Cuban guy who's lived in Madrid for decades. And so some of that stuff did well. And then the next thing that happened on the next album, after a few of the songs that I arranged and played on, did well Oscar said hey we're we're kind of short some songs you have any songs and I said well I, I you know I won't do the lyrics but I could just like sing la 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 and so I came up with something and uh, 
it became the first single on the album, shot to number one, stayed there for 10 weeks, which was a record at the time, and all of a sudden, my life changed. Wow. And so people started coming to me all the time. What was that song? It's a song called Castillo Azul. From? From Ricardo Montaner. Wow. And... It's a, kind of a 90, early 90s sounding ballad, but beautiful lyrics that he wrote. He broke a couple of songwriting rules, uh, you know, like, hey, you're supposed to put the hook in the chorus. He didn't. He put it in the pre-chorus. Beautiful lyrics. Just um, the guy's gifted and, and a joy to work with. And Ricardo's an Argentine and Venezuelan swinger, singer who lives here in Miami. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And so once that happened, um, things shifted, and I got to a different level. I thought I was going to really enjoy it, and I didn't. Not because I didn't enjoy the music. I didn't enjoy the business part where I've got all these different entities coming to me and saying, could you please repeat the formula you just did? Oh, boy. And I yeah. said, no, that's not a formula. That's my soul. Right. And I didn't say it to them, but I said it to myself. And I quickly realized that music had started to become more of a job than I wanted it to be. And I started toying around with the idea of forming a band because I never wanted to be an artist before that. And the result is Palo. So you went basically from someone uh, who was was studying the mechanics of it to then wanting to create your own artistic expression. And that led to Palo. Yes. Well, a lot of the songwriting and arranging that I had done um, for other artists, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it was all about mechanics. I mean, I had, I had a good, found, incredible foundation of the mechanics of music. Mm-hmm. But by the time I was working on that level, a lot of it was just intuition. Mm-hmm. And if I got myself painted in a corner, I would, I would seek for the mechanics. But most of it is just listening to Willie sing a song or, or thinking about, you know, a demo. Like, for instance, he might have gotten some rough demo of a song, like, for instance, Oxygeno, the title song of that album was a demo, a very, very rough demo by the singer-songwriter, and I had to take it just like the guy was playing guitar and singing, and uh, I had to take it and make sense out of it. So that took some mechanics, but from then on, it was really just instinct and what I felt, and luckily Willie and I uh, saw eye-to-eye on almost everything musically, so it was a great collaboration. And But you were also working as a, as a pr- business professor, which seems like a completely different part of the world for you actually that was one of these coincidences that is not a coincidence Hmm. i got a master's degree not because i thought about teaching someday but i got it because it was the only way to learn at that time how to write music Uh, because there was no such thing as a personal computer and midi and you know having electronic music set up so if you wanted to hear something you had to have a group of students in my case because i didn't have the money to pay professionals Playing your stuff. So that's how I learned how to write doing my master's. What a great idea. Now you had access to actual people with instruments. Right. And it was it was not the easiest way to learn, but you learned. Uh, and so by the time I graduated with the master's, I was out playing in top 40 bands. That was the real school, playing, you know, playing out there. And then fast forward to the early 2000s, when I was at this crossroads because I really wasn't enjoying a lot of the work that I was doing as much as I wanted to be, and I decided to be an artist, that was the quote-unquote coincidence when Miami-Dade College offered me a full-time position teaching music business in the School of Entertainment and Design Technology (laughs) at North Campus, and it was the greatest blessing because even though it didn't match the freelance salary that I was getting as a composer and producer, it was enough to pay the bills. It was a reasonable amount of, 
amount of stability and it enabled me to do Palo on my own terms, not having to take gigs that I didn't want, not having to do cover songs if I didn't want to, and just look for that sound. And basically, you come back to start making music out of your own life experiences. And we're going to talk about some of those songs and listen to some of them uh, after we take a little break. We're speaking to Steve Reutstein. He's the leader and founder of the band Palo. Uh, we'll be back on Sundown in just a minute. Back on Sundial, this is Carlos Frias, and those musical riffs are thanks to the band Palo and our guest today, Steve Reutstein, who is the founder of Palo. Now, Palo, you you got into creating this band and creating this music, and the music seems taken from things all around us, so to speak. Um, there's there's a song called Chismosos. Uh, t- tell me about how that song. What went into that song? The song is called Lengua Larga. Okay. And that was one of the first songs that, that um, I wrote with Leslie Cartaya. We we didn't even have a gig yet. We had no recording. And I was, I knew that we were going to have to f- have some songs that we could that we could actually perform if we were going to do a gig. Right. You're going to need music if you're going to perform right. it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess you could just jam, but that wasn't really my idea. So um, something happened, and somebody, chismoso is the Spanish word for gossiper. Okay. Um, and a friend of mine disclosed some information to other people that I didn't expect him to. So I said to Leslie, how do you say um, you know, chismoso, how do you say, what's a, like a street word in Cuba, in lengua larga, and literally means long tongue. So I started thinking of the old Cuban congas where they would have a very catchy rhythm that, uh, I'm sorry, a very catchy melody, and they would, usually in the congas in Cuba, you'll hear like a thing that's called the la trompeta china, the Chinese trumpet, which is neither Chinese nor a trumpet. It's like a <laughs> Middle Eastern, like oboe kind of a thing. Um, and you'd hear like the melody being played on that, and that was telling everyone, okay, we're going to go into this song now because it's just a medley of long, you know, long things. Because well, they're going down the street in the, and so I thought of a melody like that. Que lengua más larga tú tienes, tan larga que la puedes pisar. And I said that sounds catchy. So and then we wrote the verses to go a little little vignettes about you know how. The person is a gossiper. Well, I think that now it's only time that we hear a little bit of it to see how that finger snap turned into this lingua larga. You really have to understand Spanish and the rhythms of Spanish to be able to to create a song like that. Tell me a little, a little bit about how how your Spanish got this good and like who you worked with to like to turn those very uh, colloquial phrases into music like that. In around uh, the year two thousand five, I started dating a Cuban gal who and who, there it is who became my first wife, and so her. Her dad spoke some Spanish, some English, 
and I barely spoke any Spanish. Her mom really was not good with English at all. So just to know what the mother-in-law, La Suegra, was saying about me, that was my motivation. <laughs> so I, I just basically learned it, what, what I call a plan caraluda, just like go for it, hard face, just don't be ashamed, just try to speak. And most people are happy that you're trying to speak their language. They're not really making fun of you too much, although the Cubans would like to do that. And I would just laugh along with them and learn. So that that's how I got into it. That's why I say I speak Cuban. Uh, I'd like to speak proper Spanish someday, but you know, for now, this listen, is what I got. Listen, you live in Miami. That that Cuban Spanish will get you a long way. And and you know, a lot of the song titles uh, come from funny things. Like there's a song about not wanting to eat kimbombo, like not wanting to eat uh, uh, okra, uh, and the song is titled kimbombo. Yeah, that song is. Uh, it's funny how it got written that way. I. I like there. There are a few famous Cuban songs from the old repertoire that use that word kimbombo. It's mm-hmm. the I believe it's probably got African roots, um, and different countries call that. It's kimbombo is okra in English, and the world falls into two groups of people: people who like it and people who hate it. Okay. There's really yeah. very few people who are like just okay having okra. <laughs> um, so I said to Leslie, I like that word, and I want to write a song about it. She goes, we can't. I go, why not? She because I hate it. She hates the word or she hates she the food? She hates the food. So I said, <laughs> okay, we'll write a song about how somebody hates Kimbombo. And so the, it's a whole story. It's got three little vignettes, the, the progression of the song. Um, well, it, I love Kimbombo, so I want to hear what the song Kimbombo sounds like. So let's hear, let's hear a little bit of it. You can you can imagine the verses or tell the whole story. And I was actually influenced by the song that gave birth to the word hip hop, which is Rapper's Delight. Back when hip hop was like really sort of less focused on what it's focused on now. And there's a verse in there. You ever go to someone's house and the food just ain't no good? And I said, yeah, that could that could be a song. So she's like dreaming about this amazing meal and when she gets there it's okra which she hates so <laughs> so that that's kind of the way that i formed it in my mind and there's there's quite a bit of uh, of lyricism in there and in the variation of sound the variation of lyrics and, and feel and all that in all that music yeah there's another one uh you guys i i think it's, it's so funny this is such a like uh, a, a way to look at it but like um there's one where you guys are making fun of a guy who's cheap Mm-hmm. And it's called Camina con los codos, which is such a such a Latin saying. Someone who's too cheap, so to they don't want they don't want to wear down the soles of their shoes. That's right. So they walk with their elbows instead. Yes. I mean that's a, that's like a deep. You got to go several levels inside that meme to understand that. Well, that I actually title. I actually um, was thinking when I started forming my own band all the way back to Titi Soto, may he rest in peace, the guy who composed. The song, um, Lo que está para ti, 
Nadie te lo quita. And I said, Titi had a genius for grabbing little Cuban sayings and turning them into song titles and hooks. And Chirino, of course, not only a brilliant songwriter on his own, but could recognize a good song. And so he recorded that song and made it a hit. And I thought, I can do that. And But I feel like as an outsider, as a non-Cuban, I might have a special layer of appreciation for little phrases that people take for granted. And so that one, Camino con los Colos, it's so colorful because it makes no sense to an American. He walks with his elbows. Um, but once you get into it and you make sense, so I, I said, let's do that. And I wrote a little hook for it. And we asked uh, Leslie's cousin, Roli, um, her cousins are twins, and they're both amazing songwriters, and they both collaborated with me on Palo songs, Pepin and Roli. And Roli, at the time, he had a borrowed email address because Cuba, you couldn't really have email. Mm -hmm. um, and I explained the song to him, and the next morning there were like 10 verses. Wow, And Roli, Roli's amazing. I mean, this guy, and Pepin also. Uh, so they were writing music from Cuba? Well, Pepin lives in, in the States, but uh, but Roli at the time was living in Havana. In, wow, in, so you were really making music on the other sides of the Straits. Well, yeah, and I mean, he was just providing the lyrics. The music was being done here. Right. So he did the verses, and we grabbed the pieces that we liked. And, um, and it's just little vignettes about how the guy was cheap. Uh, you know, this guy is just so cheap that, you know, He's so cheap that, you know, fill in the blank. Right, right, yeah. It's a, it's like an old stand-up bit. But there's right. a there's an interesting thing that you're doing there, which is a guy who's not from a Cuban background, but you're working, collaborating so closely and giving credit along the way, which is... Got to. Yeah. You got to. Like, the Jews had it right. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Yep, yep, that's for sure. So let's... Um, Camino con los colo. I feel like I need to hear a piece of that now. Do you, can we play a little bit of that? That song has a little bit of a mambo vibe to it. It, it really does. It really does. And tell me a little, a little bit about, um, you know, these things come together and you're recognized with uh, a Grammy and a Latin Grammy. Uh, or, uh, nominated for Nomination, a Nomination, no te equivoques. No, for, nominated for a Grammy and a Latin Grammy. Tell me about what that meant. Each What, what, it, what led to each one of those and what that meant to you? Well, it happened the same for the same um, album which was our second album, an album called Palo Live. And what was funny is our first album I recorded in the studio. I was very happy with it. Um, that year was what? That was the first one came out, I believe, in 2009. Okay. And sometimes people would come to the show, people I respect, and they say, I got your album, and this is the first time I've heard you guys live. Something weird's going on. You sound better live than you sound... In, in on your album and that rarely happens to me because usually people are a disappointment live you know they do tricks in the studio that they can't do live so I started thinking about it. so we did um, our second album 
just about 10 years ago for our 10 year anniversary party that was recorded in a place called PAX. Unfortunately, not there anymore. Um, Hi, Rossi, Roxanne um, owned that place and just. I want to say that was under the highway, right? It was, where, yes. It was under the uh, tent the, city where. where the I 95 overpass, yeah. uh, right around A Street. Exactly. Yeah. The former Miami Herald distribution building. <laughs> oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and so there, it was a magical night, and, and the record just. I was so happy with everybody's performance, and, and we put it out and got nominated for a Latin Grammy and then for a Grammy. And, uh, and and it was all for for that album for for, um, for Palo Live. Yes, Palo Live, our second album. What do you get in a live? What do you, how? Why are you guys better live than you are in, even in studio? Well, I think I've gotten a little better at capturing some of the the live spark, but it's still. Um, I think what happens is there's a special layer of energy when you're there present, and hopefully, if some of you all who are listening out there are able to do so. You got your really nice opportunity this coming Thursday, February 16th, to see Palo live at the wonderful Miami Beach Band Shell. It's 8 o'clock this Thursday, February 16th. You, it's free, but you do need to get tickets. So go on the Rhythm Foundation website or gopalo.com or any of those places. Uh, I guess Miami Beach Band Shell website also, and there's a link to get your tickets so you can get in. That's, there's part of a part of a cultural exhibit going on too, right? Yes, we've got incredible support for this from um, the Wolfsonian FIU um, because there's this exhibit that's happening at the Wolfsonian that, that has a nice overlap with our concert, which is an incredible collection of Cuban art and stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to wrap it up too much because they'll explain it when you're there. It's like it's an amazing exhibit. So they've given us a lot of support and, uh, of course, the Rhythm Foundation, uh, City of Miami Beach, um, and a, and my dear folks at CDA, who's the record label that I'm associated with, they've been just marvelous supporting Paolo for a couple of years. Tell me about playing at venues because, uh, you know, obviously through the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to perform and, and Ball and Chain was then closed for a for a long time, uh, you know, which I know was one of your one of your favorite venues to play at uh, down on, on A Street in Little Havana. Um, tell me about what those those years were like for you guys when you're a musician and you're not able to perform like that. My my dear friend Joe Cardona, an incredibly gifted filmmaker, one of Miami's top two or three. He made a great documentary on Celia Cruz. Yes, yes, Celia the Queen. My favorite Celia documentary was was directed by Joe, and um, Cardona hoodwinked me into doing um, <laughs> a. a documentary which actually won an emmy it's called miami boheme you can just search for miami boheme on youtube and you can see it. it's on the palo channel and there's um it's a lot about the local scene here which was around the, 10 years ago and the sad thing is that virtually every venue we covered in that um segment about the venues mm -hmm. is gone wow um yeah. So it's a three-legged table that we have here in culture in this country. Um, and in music, it's the artist is one of the legs, the crowd, the fans are the other leg, mm -hmm. and the third leg is the venue. We don't really have any government support of the arts here in this country unless you get into a certain vibe. And I I never wanted to go into that vibe begging for money uh, or you know doing, could you please crowdfund me? I just, that's not me. Um, I'm a capitalist. So it's like, you know, 
And the government, you know, you can do a nonprofit, but that's also nothing I've ever pursued. So we don't have that fourth leg. So three-legged table can be extremely stable if all three legs are there. If you're missing one, it falls over. Well, lacking of, uh, let's use the venue that we have and hear a little bit uh, more from Almonte as we close the show. Uh, We've spent the hour speaking with with Steve Reutstein. Uh, He's the leader and founder of the band Palo and the creator of Sundown's theme music. So let's hear some more of Almonte. On that note, that's Sundown for Monday, February 13th. Leslie Ovae Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of original live programming. Our director of enterprise journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Our engagement editor is Katie Lepre-Cohen. Our digital editor is Mateo Sanchez. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's Vice President of Radio and Sundial's Engineer. You can download a podcast of this program, and you should. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it's been five years since the school shooting in Parkland. We hear from Alea Eastman, a survivor. She tells us about her activism against gun violence and what's bringing her joy these days. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.